You know, not too long after we were married, um, Carrie and I came back uh, to Perrin because my mom was diagnosed with what they told her at that point was lung cancer. And so we came back. Uh, we had been talking to a church pretty uh, seriously outside of Breckenridge there, a little church. Um, and all of a sudden we lost touch with them, but we were looking for a place to serve. And um, Joplin Baptist Church was looking for a pastor. And so they asked me to come and fill the pulpit, and we went. Um, the problem is, I graduated high school with all the people who were going to Joplin Baptist Church <laughs> and their parents. And so as you sat there and, and you got to the pulpit to preach, there were some who were crossways with me because, you know, my parents owned a business in town and um, financial things didn't always go the right way. And so there were some who didn't like my parents, so by, by turn, you know, a small town didn't like me. And so it was a, uh, a an uncomfortable experience, to say the least, I would say. I think Carrie would agree with that. That Sunday was just an uncomfortable experience. And I thought about that this morning or this week as I prayed over this passage because never have I understood our text today better than I did on that morning. So far in the, in the book of Mark, as we get to our text, Jesus has taught. So he's had some of his teachings. He has, he's cleansed leprosy. He's calmed the storm. He's driven out a legion of demons. He's healed the woman with an issue of blood. He's raised a dead girl. He's said all these things. And then we come to our text this morning there in Mark chapter 6, starting there with verse 1. And it says, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Judas, Joseph, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And so they were offended by him. Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. You know, the situation at hand here, Jesus, we know in other gospels, had all also preached in his hometown and it wasn't well received. And he comes back home, probably for the same reason a lot of us go back home, right? We go home wide to see family, to rest, to relax, but also maybe for him to bring hope to those that he knows. He's watched them his whole life. He, he's lived with them. He's seen who they are. He's seen their struggles. He's seen their triumphs. He knows their situations. And so he's been there for a few days. And on the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue and he stands up to teach or to preach. And it says they were astonished, but disbelieving. 
You know, when God works through you, often it's those who know you best that will not believe it. Familiarity just breeds contempt sometimes. They said, <clears throat> that's a good word, preacher. But uh, how do you know this? Yeah. They were probably sitting in, in, in the back of the church, whispering, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's kid? I mean, isn't this the brother of Gideon? We know what he did. He ran around with his brothers. We know his brothers. They're there. They're, they're, we know them, and his sisters are still here with us. We know him. How did this happen? You know, people who know you know you. Right? People who know you know you. And so sometimes it's very hard for them to understand when God begins to work in you. It's hard for them to grasp what God is doing. They know your successes, they know your failures, they know where you've been, and often they won't believe what God is doing, or sometimes they may be jealous of what God's doing. Sometimes they may look and say, why? Their question was, why is God doing this through him? Why was he chosen for this? Why, why, why does he have this? And so sometimes they may be jealous, and sometimes we may find discouragement rather than encouragement when we go back to those we know the best. We may find that when we go to, to get what we need, we don't get it. You know, if Jesus should have expected rest and support anywhere, it should have been with his family and friends, right? I know that while my mama was alive, if I needed rest and I needed support, I went to mama's house. Because I could walk in the door and no matter what she was doing, she would drop what she was doing to put her arms around me and just hold me. That's what you should expect when you go home. That's what you should expect from friends. You know, I still have friends to this day from, from back in the day that we haven't seen each other for years. But if we get together, it's like nothing ever, nothing ever happened. We were never apart. We're right there together. And I know that if I need to pick up the phone and say, man, I need your help, they're here. And I know that. Jesus should have been able to expect that there, but he didn't. And so often when we go, when God starts to work in our lives, it's those who are closest to us that kind of go... I, I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I'll believe it when I see it. They, they've done this before. And I, I got in an argument with, with a, a person one time because there was a certain youth who every year walked the aisle. And they would say, well, I'll believe that they mean it whenever I see that they mean it. Well, why don't you believe that they mean it and help them along to get to where they mean it? Why don't you pour their lives? Why don't you encourage them in this and allow them and show them what they need? Because what happens is we find ourselves when we get to this point of discouragement that we start living in this always on mentality. Ever been there? The always on. I have to be a certain kind of person. I have to be that certain person because, because if I'm not the person people expect me to be, then, then there's, there's something wrong and they'll know it and they'll see it. That's, that's really hard for, for those of us in the ministry. It feels like you're always on. It feels like there's, there's, there's no place where you really can just be you. It's just the truth. Because your life is a fishbowl. And you're going, 
who's seeing this, who's seeing that, who's doing this, who's doing that. And, and, and you find yourself going, what should I do? And you, and you pray. And it's usually the people who know you the best. And so when I go home, when I would go home, I would go to mama's house. And that's where I would go. I didn't go anywhere else in town. I went to mama's house. Because I knew at mama's house, mama didn't care what my failures were. And she didn't know, care what my sins looked like. Mama just loved me. Mama had grace. And I didn't have to be always on. And so we have to get to the point where we find that we can look at each other and be encouraging rather than discouraging. We cannot be those people who go, well, you did it again. Well, you did it again. Well, so pick yourself back up, lean on Jesus, and keep going. We have to be careful not to let our flesh obscure the Christ within us. <laughs> I wasn't directing at anybody. Why are you looking at me like that? We have to be careful not to let our flesh obscure the cross within us. Here's the deal. For Jesus, it was wholly different because he was the Christ. But yet they couldn't see that he was the Christ because all they could see was his flesh. For us, our flesh means something completely different because they see our flesh and they go, oh my goodness. Did you hear what that preacher said? Now, I'm in trouble. Um, last week, I said a word at the end of my sermon. It was the S word. Stupid. That's a bad word. You see how many of you know? But, you know, I let my words hang out sometimes. That's, that's what happens. People, you know. And I hope you encourage me rather than you discourage me. But that's, that's what we're in. We find ourselves in these situations where our flesh sometimes can obscure the Christ within us. How often have we known somebody where we have said, man, they're such a great Christian. And then they do something and we go. And rather than saying, you know what? God's given me plenty of grace. Let me give them a little bit of it. We go. Well, I guess they weren't the person I thought they were. You're looking through the wrong eyes. <laughs> if they can make a mistake and all of a sudden they're not the person you thought they were, you're looking through the wrong eyes. Because I'm not supposed to look at them. I'm not supposed to look at the things that they're doing. I'm supposed to look at the things that God is doing through them. Paul tells me, Paul, you know the guy who wrote most of our New Testament? He said, you know what? I haven't conquered it yet. And I struggle with it. And I'm always going to struggle with it. And I'm going to keep struggling with it. And, and, and I don't know how to get past it, but I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he's overcome this. And so we have to quit being this person who goes, well, I messed up so it doesn't matter anymore. We sometimes treat our faith like we treat our diets. Mm. Right? Here's how a diet goes. And I'm doing good. I've, I've counted my calories. I've lost 15 pounds, 5 pounds, whatever your good pound number is. I've lost these pounds. And then, you know, there's a church fellowship. you got to eat because it's rude if you don't. So you eat. And then that night, you're like, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, I've already broken it anyway. So let me have a few cookies. That's what we do in our spiritual life, right? Oh, well, you know, I'm already not the person they thought I was, so it doesn't matter if I try to be who I'm supposed to be. 
I'm just going to be who they think I am. And we become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We become that thing that people have always said that we are. You know, and the hardest part for us is that we have to be sure to live lives worthy of the calling so that our flesh doesn't hinder people from the Christ that's trying to come out of us. We've got to live lives and we've got to try and we've got to seek. And you know, the, the hard, hard, hard truth for us is that those that are closest to us are often the hardest to bring to salvation. It's hard. My biggest frustration after I accepted Jesus and I accepted the call to ministry was my family. And it still is to this day at times because that rejection hurts more with that kind of state behind it. It hurts because their view of you may hinder their acceptance. And so I don't know how many times, I don't know, maybe I just always sound like a preacher. But they would say, don't preach at me. I'm not, I'm just telling you about Jesus because he loves you. But that's where I'm at right now. But that hurts, right? Because those those people that are closest to us, we want to see them when we get there. We want to know that they're going to be in those gates when we walk through it. We want to know. And so often they don't want to hear it from us. But in this passage, we see that, that God will only work in our lives to the extent that we let it. And he was not able to do many miracles there except for the fact that he laid his hands on somebody and healed. He just raised a girl from the dead. He just healed a woman who had an issue of blood for decades. He had done all of these major things. He drew down a legion of demons. And he comes to his hometown and none of his great works are able to be done because of the attitude of the people. That's what kills me. When you read that, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, oh, and he didn't. The text says he was not able to do any miracles. God only works in our lives to the extent we let him work. Now that's, that's something we don't like to hear. We don't like to hear that because God's not going to force himself on you. God's not going to force himself on you. So often... We pray, we pray, we pray. God, 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 please, please, just, please, just overtake them. And we want him to, but we don't want him to do it the way he wants to do it. He wants to overtake them and then go, oh, yes, and surrender. But no, no, no. We want them to go up behind them and slap them on the back of the head, Jesus, and tell them where they need to be. That's not how God works. God does not force himself on you. He won't force even blessings on you. He will only work to the extent we allow it. Think about this. God wants to do something in your life. I don't know what it is. And I know that this morning that everybody in here, there is something that God wants to do in your life. There is something that God is leading you toward. Each and every step that you take, each and every breath, everything, He is leading you toward something. And He has something for you. But in order to get there, there is something in your life that he has to remove. Something in your life that he wants to break down, that he wants to transform, that he wants to change. There's something there. But if we say, no, he doesn't do it. The book of Romans tells us what? That the wrath of God is being poured out on humanity. And the wrath of God is this. 
If you want to live in your sin, I'm going to let you wallow in it. I'm going to let you have the repercussions of your sin. I'm going to let you deal with those consequences. If that's what you want, you can have it. That's scary. That's scary to look at. That's scary to know. But if we don't say, okay, God, I am open. I am ready. Work in me. Move me. Make me. Take this out of me. Make me who you want me to be. Put me where you want me to be. Do the things in me that need to be done so that I can follow you. If we're not letting him work in our lives, our lives aren't going to get any closer to where he wants us to be. It's just not going to happen. It's kind of like the landlocked piece of land that you buy. And the only way to it is through somebody else's property. If they don't let you through that property to get to yours, you're just out of luck. Because it's their property. Sometimes we've got to open the gate and say, okay, God, come in and move. But we have to strive not to stand in the way of the work that God wants to do. We have to get out of the way. we got to get out of the way. So often we stand in the way. Have you ever stood in the way of God? We don't like to hear that, do we? We don't like to hear this truth makes us uncomfortable. That sometimes humans can get in God's way. But Brother Troy, he's got a plan and he is sovereign, absolutely. But he's got a plan that's overarching. He knows what he's going to do. But he's also big enough in his sovereignty to know that I'm going to muck it up. He knows that sometimes I'm going to say, no, God. He knows, like the Israelites. Man, they should have walked in and said, yes. He just destroyed the greatest army in the world has ever known with one minute in a flood. But I ain't going to go in over there and fight those people. And so they had to walk for 40 years. He knows. He understands. God can do anything, but he allows for human will. He allows for us to muck it up. He allows for all that. There's a difference. God accounts in his, his, his situational plan, for lack of a better word, for our bullheadedness. For the fact that we're going to plant ourselves and say, no, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to go that far, God. I can't let you be there. I can't get rid of that. That's the point of prayer. Here's prayer. I was asked this by a 90... 94 years old at that point, I guess. First question she asked me as I came to the church. The choice, sometimes I wonder what's the point of prayer. Because sometimes I pray and I pray and I pray and what I'm asking for doesn't happen. So I, I wrote out this long treatise for her because she wanted all my thoughts. I gave her all my thoughts. <laughs> But then I diluted it down. Prayer is not about moving God where we want Him to be. It's about God moving us where He wants us to be. And sometimes the point of prayer is for God to put us to where we're ready to accept something that we weren't ready to accept. Prayer is about us moving. Prayer is about us changing. So I have a question for you today. What amazes God about you? And you're going, what? What do you mean? What amazes God about me? There are two times that it is recorded in Scripture that Jesus was 
amazed. Literally, the Greek word is thamatso. It means astonished out of your senses. To regard and speculate on the matter. Here in Mark 6 is one of them. And it says, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Here, Jesus is amazed by a colossal demonstration of lack of faith. So colossal that it keeps him from doing any major miracles. The second is over in Luke chapter 7. And there, in Luke 7, you have a centurion, a Roman official. He's only there to keep the Jews in line. He's not a keeper of the promises of God. He, he has a servant who's about to die, and people come to Jesus and seek him out and ask him to go and heal him is what he asks him. And there in verses 6 through 10, we find the story. Jesus went with them, and he went. He was not far from the house. The centurion's friend said, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be cured. For I too, a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. And so I say, go, this one go, and he goes. And the other come, and he comes. And then my slave do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this, and he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. In his hometown, among the Jewish people, among people who've had the law, who've known God, who know everything there is to know about the Old Testament, those people, he was amazed at their unbelief. But in this Gentile dog person from the Roman Empire who was only there to be mean to the Jews, he was amazed at a faith that he hadn't even seen in Israel. How do you want God to see you? Which faith do you want God to see in you? What do you want God to be amazed by in you? Do you want Him to be amazed by the faith that says, you don't even have to come to my house, Jesus, because I know if you just say it, it's going to happen. Or do you want to be amazed by the fact that you say, well, huh. do I really believe this? Or do you want Him to be amazed by the fact that Nothing's happening in your life. So I ask that to you as individuals. But I also ask that to you as a church body. What do we want God to be amazed by us about? Our faith or our disbelief? Because the people... In Nazareth, they knew God. There was a relationship there, for lack of a better word, but they just didn't believe in the things that Jesus was doing. Maybe this morning, you've just been scooping along in your faith. It's easy to do. I get up, I read a three-minute devotional, I get on the road, and I do my thing. I come to church on Sunday, and I do my thing, and then I go about my work. Maybe God's just working. Maybe there's something that he's saying, and I want you to do something. 
There is something I have that's just for you, and it's for nobody else. It's for nobody else. I truly believe that there are people out there that you are the only one they will hear Jesus from. I used to get frustrated. More than I do now. <laughs> I used to get frustrated more than I do now over one certain thing. I would get frustrated when I would preach a thing for months, saying the same thing over and over and over again. And then I'd have somebody else come in and preach the exact same thing I had said nine times in the past ten months. And somebody would say to them, I have never heard that. Come to realize that there are people that God has for you that you are the only one they'll hear Jesus from. They can be told from somebody else millions of times, and the only person they're going to hear it from is you because there is something about you, there's something about that relationship. It, you know, there are some of us, you know, there's some of us who are rougher than others, you know. I mean, there are some of us who, who people look at us and go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know about them. Somebody, they get to hear Jesus from them. Because Jesus, Jesus uses everyone in a different way. Maybe this morning God is trying to transform you and he wants to do something and he wants to use you in that way. Let him. It's time to, to get our flesh out of the way. It's time to get out of the way and say, God, I'll let you do what you want to do because I want to know that everybody that I know is going to be there when I get there. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you have something that I haven't even brought up. Now's the time to pray. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. You've never taken that step to say, I want to know him. I want to know him in a real way. I want him to transform me. I'm going to take that first step that says, God, I'm out of the way. Just come down the aisle. I'm going to try. I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.